Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. We're going to continue in a letter that speaks to the things we've just sung about. You are all we want, what our hearts are waiting for. We've talked about a living hope and how that living hope is not founded on our strength or our ability, but it's only and always founded on who Jesus Christ is and his ability to deliver everything that God's ever promised. And we talked about how we have a need for holiness and Michael walked us through the reasons we have to hold on to a holiness that doesn't make sense in this world. And then we talked about our identity and how that calling brings us into living hope, reminding us of who we are and why we're here. You see, we focus on all of these things, but I want us to understand and I wanna encourage you to continue on doing the good things you're doing because hope when alive is evident. There's no question about it. A hope that is dead is theoretical, but a hope that is alive is nothing if it is not evident for all to see and most of all, for all to be blessed by, including those who are not of our tribe, not of our belief, not of our kingdom. I'd like to just demonstrate this text by giving us some things that we can do, but not things we do, but actually things that show who we are by what we do. It reveals what our character is. It reveals what our passion is. It reveals what our hope is. So I begin with the the two most important, bridging them together before we demonstrate our hope. Let's protect that which must be projected. Oh, it's a little bit of wordplay, so give me that at least the beginning, to protect what we hope to project. Let me explain it this way. In verses 11 and 12, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Isn't that exciting? The God we await for is going to visit us again and walk amongst us and draw to himself those who have been called through his son. What a powerful imagery that is. But Peter gives us some unique things to think about. There are two significant issues addressed in the scriptures. And it's what we talk about each and every time we open the word of God. There's two things. How the soul of man must be protected and how the glory of God must be projected. Those are the two issues, not not the only issues, but very important issues that are found throughout the entire canon of scripture. Protect your soul. In times like this, it is so important for us to be reminded that it's, it's not our body, it's not just our mind, it's not our social context that need protected, it's our soul. A war is being waged against the soul in this world. Let's, let's not deny that for a second. And if the war is successful and we surrender our souls, all is lost. That's why Jesus came to call us to something bigger and greater than just our happiness. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks a, a question. What will it profit a man if he regain the whole world and lose his soul? For what can a man exchange, give in exchange for his soul? If the soul is lost, the person is. It affects everybody without exception, and it affects everybody forever. So Peter is calling us to understand that we are not of this world. We must protect the soul 
for which the world is bartering. Our modern world is massively preoccupied with the inconsequential. Maybe you've fallen into the same trap I've fallen in over the last five or six weeks to search for amusement rather than depth. There's nothing wrong with having some entertainment in your life, but when that's all we get, it's, it is a battle for our soul. For the most important things can be put aside for the inconsequential. And the reason we're to protect our soul is not because we're in charge of it, but we give it to God and we protect it against the things that threaten that relationship so that we can project his glory. The goal of a believer's behavior is only the glory of God. Anything we're ever asked to do, anything we're ever chosen that we choose rather to respond with must be for the glory of God or it is just hay and stubble that's gonna burn up in the final judgment. In verse 12, we're told to keep our behavior excellent so that the Gentiles may glorify God. That word Gentiles means more than just a ethnicity. It's actually talking about a group of people who are not of what we're of, the kingdom. And to say that there's a way in which we live that brings glory to God in such a way that when God returns, they will have understood him and maybe they themselves would have returned to him. You see, we're living in a day, think about it. We're living in a day when drawing people's attention away from amusement to the awareness of God's goodness and glory is a gift that we can offer and oh, is it needed in times like this. You see, Peter is showing us here over and over the same thing that we learn in the rest of scripture. The way we live, the choices we make in the protecting of our souls allows us to project the glory of God in our words, in our actions, and in our attitudes. And having that as the why to the what, understanding that that's important that we protect that which we need to project. Now we can move on to some of the more practical things, but this teaching is easy to deliver. It may be hard to hear because it's quite challenging. We're told by Peter to honor that which must be honored. Let's read verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now go all the way back to when we began studying through this particular letter that Peter was writing to early Christians. They were being persecuted for their faith. And we're not being persecuted at this moment for our faith. Now, there are people throughout the world who are, but I don't know that we are in our county and our area where we live. But the challenges to that which sustains our faith, our hope, are somewhat similar. And so Peter is calling us to not only protect and to project, but also to honor those things which must be honored. And he gives us some very tangible ways to bring honor into our world in such a way that we don't look good, but that the kingdom of God, the words of Jesus, and the purity of God's gospel are made known. He tells us to live to God. Galatians 2.19 echoes this. Through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I might move beyond behaviors that justify me to actually living out those behaviors in such a way that the goodness of God is justified in front of the eyes 
of the entire world, believers and unbelievers. Verse 13, he says, we do this for the Lord's sake. Earlier, he told us we're a holy nation. We're God's people. This is the second time he's referred to us as aliens and strangers or exiles. In other words, this is not our home. We are just passing through, but oh my goodness, it's not just about surviving the journey. It's about inviting those around us through loving acts to the glory of God for God's purposes that we invite them to join us in this journey, all arriving in the presence of our King when he returns. Now, some people would say, well, if we really are the holy nation and God's people and aliens and exiles and strangers, that maybe we should withdraw from the world and isolate. Because preacher, you did say, protect your soul. No, no, we don't protect our souls by ourselves. We actually protect and feed our souls by our obedience to what God has called us to. So we don't withdraw. Peter would tell us, absolutely not. You see, this is why I've entitled this message, The Unusual Nature of Our Hope. It's almost counterintuitive what Peter's asking us to do. You see, we don't look first at ourselves to see what we feel like doing. We don't look first at what gets me the greatest advantage. Submitting to authorities is hard, especially today where everything is so politicized. No matter what decision you make, somebody's gonna have a reason why you're not seeing that it's based on this rather than this. And at this point in time, we're told by the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul, we're even told by Jesus to honor the authorities for the sake of the kingdom. And when the gospel can go forward and it still can so effectively, there's nothing prohibiting us from doing what we've been asked to do. So we honor the authorities. We do our best to care for one another, to make good choices. You see, all of these authorities have been established, whether you agree with them or not, they have been established in God's master plan to bring order to his world. Now we always respond to God foremost. We'll talk about that in a moment. But one of the ways we respond to God is by doing what he asks us to do in those more difficult moments, those opinion moments. You see, Christian submission to the institution of the world is for the sake of the Lord, not just for our own sake. When Peter tells us that the purpose of kings and governors is to punish evil and to promote good, this is what we hope for. And yet, even in the midst when things get turned upside down, you and I can continue to work for justice and love and show mercy and obey. Verse 15 tells us it is God's will that by doing good, we should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. We're under the spyglass now, folks. People are gonna be looking at how Christians respond. And I want us to separate the opportunities we have from the opinions we have. The opportunities we have to do a great work for the Lord's sake are in front of us so much so that our opinions are less important and probably best kept to ourselves. If you even look at the progression of honor, I was taught this and I think it's significant. If you look at verse 17, he kind of gives us a progressive order. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Give respect to all mankind. Show a special love to those who are the family of faith. Fear God, acknowledge the appropriate fear to the holiness of God and the perfection of God. And then we're able to honor the emperor, the king. Think about it. Acknowledge the dignity of all people. Appreciate affectionately other believers that are building this kingdom with us. And allegiance to God first. And from that, honor where honor is due. So we've been told to to protect our souls and project the glory of God. We're told to honor that which must be honored. 
And let's look at another topic, which is so much bigger than one sermon can contain. We'll be talking about it in just a matter of a week or two. Suffer for that which must be suffered for. Look at verse 18 with me. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Oh, there's so much here. And I don't want to gloss over it because it's unimportant. I just want to make the point that has been made in our study of Colossians recently in in this particular letter to people that are under duress. Peter says there's a way to suffer. And there's a suffering that will come on all of us. There's suffering for doing wrong and we've earned that and that is what it is. But there's a suffering for doing what's right. And our tendency would be to run away or to complain about it and and to get it to stop. And I don't think there's anything wrong with hoping your suffering ceases. But during the process, there is a testimony that's present here that protects your soul and projects the glory of God. And Peter's calling us to it. He's telling Christian servants to be submissive with respect. He's telling us to bear up under sorrows when they're unjust. He tells us to do good. And when we suffer for doing good, bear that suffering patiently because it... Our circumstances are real, but they're not forever. And he's telling us, do not return evil for evil. Follow the model that Jesus offered. And when things are hard and we're inconvenienced and discomforted and and people are putting us in positions we shouldn't be put in, instead of whining and complaining, I appreciate so much how we are holding our faces toward heaven where our hope is and responding to God. In fact, it's, it's quite interesting to me here in verses 19, 20, how many times that, Peter makes the comment that it is commendable if you bear up under pain. And if you do that because you're conscious of God, it's even more commendable. It's commendable to be strong in our faith, to hold on to our hope, to live this out, fully expecting that even in the worst set of circumstances, our God is more powerful and he is just to deliver. God delights in behavior that reflects utter reliance on him, not on ourselves. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Protect that which must be projected. Honor that which must be honored. Suffer for that which must be suffered for. And lastly, if I can give you these steps that we're called to do, die to that which you must die to. Look with me at verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I think it's fascinating here that Peter, who didn't understand that night that Jesus was betrayed and the next day murdered and the absence and the loss of hope on that Saturday in between. To to run to the tomb and see the empty tomb and be confused and then see Jesus alive and be changed 
And when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and he preached that first message of hope, Peter was telling that message to these Christians facing difficulties. He said, he bore our sins on the cross so that you and I might die to sins and live to righteousness. There is so much more to the cross than the atonement of our sins. But the atonement of our sins is so significant that we know the love of God through that. And we experience the power of God through the resurrection. So we die to sins so that we might live to righteousness, that we might walk in this hope because living hope is evidenced. It's evidence in the way we suffer. It's the evidence in the way we treat other people and give honor and dignity to those. It's, it's how we protect our soul and how we protect the glory of God. We die to self. We protect project, honor, suffer, and die, not as threats to our existence, but actually evidence that this existence we live in, in all of its imperfection, is not who we are, it's not where we'll end up, and it's not who we'll be with when Jesus returns and restores his kingdom fully. God's purpose for us is stated, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God's commitment is that he himself bore our sins on the cross so this could be our living hope and that our behavior would evidence a living hope, not a, not a one-day hope, but a today hope. You see, the design of the cross is to liberate us from the power of sin so that we might walk in newness of life. And I think it's quite interesting what Peter seems to do here from the beginning in verse 11 down to verse 25. In verse 25, he says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Family, let's protect our souls. And the best way to protect our souls is to protect the glory of God in everything we do, in everything we become, every action, every word, every attitude. I have to repent. These weeks have gotten the best of me at moments. I, I'm, I think I was born cranky. It's gotten worse. And there are days I wake up and I have energy and I have focus and I have life and I believe what I'm investing in is mattering. And then there's other days I wake up and I'm asking some of the questions we're all asking. Why bother? How long is this going to last? And at the end of the day, it does not matter. There is nothing I've been called to do that I have been kept from being able to do. I can encourage, I can edify, I can present the gospel I can love, I can serve, and you can too. I'm not suggesting you're not. I want you to be strong and have courage. The Lord your God goes with you. You see, the word that Peter is bringing to that group of people is really to a group of people like us. And I hope you'll see the hope. Deep down, not wishful thinking, but a confident expectation in what Jesus is offering us and how we can live lives in such a way that the world will look at our unusual behavior around our hope and they'll understand that there's gotta be something bigger that they're going for than just happiness, than just contentment, than just survival. We live in a different way. And we gather around these elements each and every time that we worship together. It's important at Christ Church it can become redundant to some, but for us, this is the special moment we gather around where we take the bread and we take the juice and we remember that God went to the cross to die for our sins so that his loving justice would be met by his own sacrifice 
so that we can lovingly sacrifice for him. And so we eat and drink. And Jesus said, according to the apostle Paul on the night he was betrayed, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. So I wanna ask you some questions as we gather around this table. I want you to, to think about this because this is why we do this. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son sent to earth to be your savior and Lord? Do you find him worthy of your love? Has his sacrifice mattered? Can it matter? Have you shared this confession with anyone? Maybe now's the first time in your life you'll say to those that you're gathered with, you might say out loud, I do believe Jesus is God's son. It sounds so simple, but it is so powerful. Have you asked Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins for which he went to the cross that you and I might live righteous lives, not by our own power, but by his? Have you been baptized by immersion as a surrender to his death, burial, and resurrection? You see, this table is an invitation and it's inviting you to all of those things, not just to eat and drink, but to proclaim Jesus Christ in its fullness. And by proclaiming him in his fullness, we begin to follow him. Protecting our souls in Jesus, protecting the glory of God in Jesus. Today, we eat and drink to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for a sacrifice we can only begin to understand, for a truth that is proven day in and day out, for a love that we are changed by. We surrender in these elements to you because you said, if you will not eat and drink of me, you will not be a part of my kingdom. So today by faith, we join together with millions of people throughout the world to eat and drink in honor of Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, in whose name we are blessed and who we pray. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.